You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have a little bit longer than normal episode and it's because it's it's a really intriguing episode we're going to be talking with the guys from annihilator broadheads and the cool thing about this podcast is that their product kind of breaks the the definition of what a broadhead is and the design you look at it it doesn't look anything like a traditional broadhead whether that's mechanical or fixed blade and um the the science behind the product is is very cool as well so today we're going to be talking with the founders of the company we're going to be talking about how this idea kind of popped up at a at a camp where a guy was talking about man i wish i didn't lose this bull elk that i shot how do we you know how do we fix this broadhead problem blah 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 out comes this idea for annihilator and then the whole the whole conversation from concept to prototype to you know testing to you know bringing it to market and educating people on why it's uh, why it's different why it's potentially better than all the other broadheads on the market and it's a really awesome episode i love breaking down the whole process of the company and uh, you know, from start to finish, from where they started to where they are today, and why these guys have you know such passion behind their products because they really, they really believe, and, and there is some science to back up their what they believe uh, of how they feel that it's a superior broadhead than anything else on the market, how different it is, and how it performs. So, we talk about all that today, right? A really awesome episode. I'm sure you guys are gonna enjoy it. 
Uh, before we get into today's episode, let's talk about tethered. You know, if you're looking for a saddle, if you're looking for platforms, if you're looking for climbing sticks, if you're looking for saddle accessories, head on over to uh, Tethered's website and take a look at all their product lines. Man, they got they have something for everybody. Also, um, on their website, YouTube channel, all that stuff, they have information about how you can use their products to be more successful and how it's a tool, not necessarily the secret recipe, but a tool to help you in your um, uh, to achieve your goal of potentially let's just say killing a big buck or getting in tighter on a big buck or things like that so go check out tethered hunt stand um, i'll tell you this i always talk a lot about what i am familiar with and that's like hunting the hunting aspect of it but there's so much more to hunt stand than just the hunting side of it if you're a fisherman and you want to document you know where on the water you are finding uh, fish you can do that too right i mean it's it's just not limited to the hunting side of thing i mean it's called a hunt stand but there's so much more you can do with it uh you can you know plan out food plots you can highlight certain areas where you want to maybe do some habitat work in in the spring or in the fall or whatever Uh, knock some trees out hinge cut areas design bedding areas all that stuff can be done on hunt stand document trail camera pictures right you can save and manage your trail camera pictures all that stuff can be done on hunt stand so it's not just your typical hunting app it goes much deeper than that and for the price of this is only like 30 bucks. I think it's 30 bucks a, a year, an entire year. The functionality that comes with that $30 outweighs any other app on the market. And that's why HuntStand is the most uh, popular hunting app. So go check out HuntStand.com. If you want a discount, enter the discount code SN20 for 20% off. And lastly, we have Annihilator Broadheads, right? And so I'm not necessarily going to do a, a full ad on, on this, but li- listen closely when, when they start talking about the wound channels, right? And really, that's all we want our broadheads to do is just destroy everything they hit. So listen closely today when these guys start talking about their wound channels and uh, and how, how much damage they do. So uh, if you want to find out more, go visit the Annihilator Broadhead uh, website, AnnihilatorBroadheads.com. And then listen to this episode today, right? So awesome episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I I feel like it's a a really good start to finish. You you really get to know the brand and the people behind it. And that's what the goal of this podcast is. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy. Have a good one. And we'll talk to you next time. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. Today I am joined by Micah Brown and Brandon Brody of Annihilator Broadheads. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Good, man. How are you? Doing Thanks good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm doing good, man. It, I tell you what, we have a period of time in Iowa. I, I'm from Eastern Iowa. And so right now it's odd outside. It's like the perfect weather. It almost feels like California, no humidity outside this morning. And all I really wanted to do is sit outside and drink coffee in the shade and like just enjoy there's no humidity there's no humidity outside right now and i'm pretty jacked about that uh where are you guys located uh boise idaho boise idaho what is what's the humidity like in boise idaho uh dry very dry so we're like uh <laughs> yeah, sub, sub zero <laughs> yeah. yeah 
very, very dry. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys been uh, hit with any of the uh, western wildfires this year in, in the, the last couple of years? Yeah, Idaho will get some bad fires. Uh, not as bad as California and Oregon, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, me and my wife were out in Oregon last summer. We went uh, and enjoyed the Willamette Valley. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all the, the wine areas out there and, uh, and there was smoke in the air the whole time you couldn't, yeah. and there was days where you couldn't see anything. So, I mean, at least, uh, at least you guys aren't, I mean, are, is the smoke coming your guys' way at all? Yeah, we get it all the time during, uh, especially during season, as you get later into the summer, um, as Western hunters, uh, uh, primarily, um, pretty much. You know, every other year it seems like we're elk hunting in smoke or yeah. blacktail hunting in smoke. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think too people don't realize, and it's funny. Um, I just moved up here from California last year. Oh, okay. And people don't realize that um, this whole Boise Meridian, you know, this whole Treasure Valley area is not that far from like not that far from Oregon, not that far from Nevada. So anything that happens as far as wildfires. It just comes and just sits in here and dumps into this uh, into this little basin. And you, like last summer, there was days when you couldn't you couldn't see the uh, Boise Mountains, and and those aren't real. I mean, you can see them right now, right next to us. So yeah, man, I was out in uh, let's see, I was out in Nebraska last year, and on one of the last days of our hunt, a wildfire broke out in western Nebraska, and uh, we, me and the guy I was with, we were getting alerts on our phone and they, you know, be careful for wildfire. And so the next morning we were waking up and I, th- I thought it was snowing, but it was ash from the wildfire dumping down on, on us. And, and so I was like, man, this is crazy. And, and how fast those things can spread is ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I was, uh, uh, from California. So I, I, blacktail hunt uh quite a bit we'll go back again this year i took brandon in a couple years um a couple years back to blacktail hunt there last year i actually got kicked out um when i was hiking in um i saw a bunch of guys with you know the the forest service guys with helmets on and so i went and talked to them and i had all my gear on my back and everything and they basically were like hey we're clearing all of this forest right here they're basically going to shut down everything so you need to pack up and scoot and i was i wasn't like really close but I mean, 10 to 15 miles, I mean, those things can move so fast. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I get it, but yeah. 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 Knock on wood. I don't have to deal with much of that stuff here in Iowa. You know, the, the occasional ditch fire because a, a tractor, you know, leaks something or, you know, uh, maybe a, a garbage, you know, someone's burning garbage in a ditch and it gets out of control, but it's, it's yeah. put, uh, it's put down pretty quick. We don't typically have those, those fires. Uh, here in Iowa. So Annihilator Broadheads. All right. You guys, how, first off, how old is this company? 2019. Okay. 2019, you guys uh, launched. That's when we went to market. It was May of yeah. 2019 at uh, uh, the NFAA shoot in uh, Reading. And first customers got, got their product in like, what, what was it, Micah? First week in June, I think. Yeah, I think we, we yeah, we, we, we weren't even selling selling them then i think it was about a, a yeah about a month yeah because it was that reading shoot is always the first weekend in may yeah and yeah it was about a month okay so launches is roughly may 2019 but there's a whole bunch of other things that have to happen before you get to launch 
right? right. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. I want to I want to find out from you guys what is what what was the birth of Annihilator? Like there has to there had to be an idea that popped up in some, one of your guys' heads that was like, I got an idea for a broadhead. Why don't you explain what that moment was like and what was running through your head? Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> I'll just say, Brandon, I'll take this one. Um, yeah, so um, Brandon can speak to his background if we go go down that uh, go down that road. But I was a I was a cop for um, for 16 years in Sacramento County as a uh, sheriff and um, hunted, you know, hunted a lot. Uh, bow hunted first, obviously started off rifle hunting, and then um, immediately went to bow hunting after that. And uh, just coming, you know, we were sitting in camp at an elk camp. Um, where I didn't know Brandon and we both had a mutual friend, uh, our mutual friend obviously, uh, knew me and then he knew Brandon. So that was kind of the triangle, how we met, how Brandon and I met, but, uh, sitting in camp, a buddy of ours lost a, uh, and this is a true like campfire story. So, um, a buddy of ours had lost a bull and, uh, we were just sitting around and talking about what, um, what, you know, what things you could do what things you couldn't do, what, you know, what type of products would make, um, what type of products would make that scenario, uh, less unfortunate. And, um, I had actually had a design that I've been working on for a couple of years. Um, in the meantime, back, like, you know, back, uh, before that. And we, we were sitting there talking and I actually had the design and I came out and, um, and showed them. I, so I actually had it in with me in elk camp and Brandon, Brandon always laughs. Cause he's like, who, who carries around this stuff? And, and, <laughs> hey guys, you want to see something cool? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in, in, you know, my defense, uh, doing the cop thing, I always had, um, always had stuff, uh, stuff with me. I worked, uh, um, uh, for, um, part of a intelligence, a uh, little intelligence unit. So I always had my backpack on me in case I needed to make phone calls when I got reception or anything like that. Or, um, so, we ended up, uh, we ended up just talking about it. I showed, I showed them the design and, um, I think everyone, everyone was, everyone that, that was there, um, was, you know, thrilled, thrilled by it. And I think, um, Brandon ended up getting, calling me about three weeks later and we had texts back and forth. Hey, you know, nice meeting up, that kind of thing. And then he had called me like three weeks later and asked me about, um, about, basically the possibility of doing something with it and just saying, Hey, it'd be kind of cool. And, um, I have a background in, uh, was it Brandon Ent entrepreneurship, uh, software and he had software side and stuff like that, that he can talk about. But, um, yeah, that was like the initial kickoff to, um, to what, um, you know, what and how annihilator started. So, yeah. So, so talk to me about that initial design, right? I mean, you just, cause there's something that happened before that. You, you you can't just show someone a design on a, on a napkin like you were carrying around there. I'm assuming there was some thought process before that that you started, you know, rattling around in your brain. You know, what led to you coming up and saying, dude, I, I got this idea for a broadhead. Yeah, you know, um, you, you look at broadheads and I've been shooting them for a while. And you look at all of them and they're, they're literally all the same. It doesn't matter if they change the tip. It doesn't matter if the blades come 
come swinging out of the feral or whatever they're pretty much it's not knocking broadhead companies brandon and i are super respectful we don't you know never want to bash or talk about another broadhead um in a negative in a negative way but um there's there's nothing that held like a bulbous back end that would hit very similar to what a bullet does right a bullet when it mushrooms it actually creates a void behind it so in my head i thought that if the back end of this could be bulbous and hide the arrow shaft um, we could definitely disrupt flesh on the way in, unlike anything on the market. So, um, you know, in, in my head, it's funny, in, in the drawing, it looks totally two-dimensional, exactly how it is. But when Brandon and I started talking, I was like, it's got to have this base, and this base would be triangular, and I wish I could draw it for you, but I'm not a CAD guy. So um, that, that was like the theory behind it would be basically if you could merge what a broadhead typically does by hemorrhaging with what a bullet kind of does by moving mass, obviously not, not tearing and disrupting flesh at, you know, at those speeds. But if you could create a void, I think, I think, you know, I, I was like, well, maybe the wound channel wouldn't collapse uh, even on submarginal hits. It's going to stay open because that back bell would, uh, would, would disrupt so much flesh on the way in it, the wound channel wouldn't be able to close like a traditional broadhead. Gotcha. Okay. So then, so then you go to camp, blah, 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 conversation, Brandon, why the follow-up call? Yeah. So I worked in the software industry and, uh, a long time and, um, and, uh, it just kind of got old to be honest with you. And I was looking for something to get my hands on that was physical. That wasn't like sitting in front of a desk and not trying to get out of the industry, but I was thinking, man, I need some like side projects. Like, you know, the software world is, uh, is awesome. And, uh, and it's fun. You get to innovate. And, uh, we, we constantly were creating new, I was a solutions architect and VP of a company. And so constantly creating and, and innovating and, uh, but it seemed like nobody was ever happy because yeah, it's like, you're just always changing. Right. So you just work towards like one, one big push to get a product out. People are happy for maybe a week. And then they're like, Oh man, I wish it was better here. Here's my 500 changes. Uh, and then you go build a new product and then you got to go sell that. And it's just this like constant cycle of, uh, build, measure, learn and sell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and build, measure, learn is not a bad cycle. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I don't know. I wanted something physical, do something physical with my hands. And so when he had, I was already thinking about that actually six months prior, I told my wife, I said, man, I really need a side project. I want to do something different because my background was um, my degree was entrepreneurial management. And uh, um, I'd helped a few companies and, you know, lots of um, opportunities, but nothing really came into my mind for a product. And I did a year at the Art Institute of Seattle in um, basically 3D design. Um, it's called industrial design. Uh, so from model making, car designs to jewelry to furniture. Um, so I had that kind of desire and uh, when he shared that he had this idea all i heard was he had an idea he was a cop there's no way for him to really take that idea and bring it to market and when he shared the idea i thought it would be a shame not to at least test it and see if it has legs yeah Um, but for me it was more of a desire to just have a side project that said let's go through the uh, i actually wanted the education on it i told my wife i said I'm willing to spend X amount of dollars to go get a, basically a, an education to help bring and get an idea out of someone's head yeah. on, not just onto paper, but into a CAD model and into, you know, prototyping stage and then just see if it has legs. I didn't 
I didn't really understand the shape. I mean, him and I talked and I understood the concept for sure. Um, in fact, the way my brain thought about it was when you take a rock and you drop it in water, you know, how water would flow around the rock. And I'm thinking, I was thinking that in terms of um, how something would fly because we knew it would, it would kill. I mean, the second you have something that's a large surface area, the question is, is can you just get it to pass through an animal at that speed? And can you get it to fly? Yeah. Um, those are the two things we we didn't really know. Now we knew it would kill. Now would it kill and create lethality that's actually above and beyond your standard like razor blade cut and pencil hole? Well, that was to be determined, but it seemed in our heads pretty easily that that was kind of a no-brainer. Like, yeah, dude, you know this is going to punch a hole. You know this is going to create a wound channel that at least doesn't close and literally core out stuff. Yeah. Uh, but but does it fly and will it penetrate? And what happens when you hit bone and submarginal shots and all that stuff? So yeah. I said, Let's go make this thing, man. And we just called it a project. It wasn't wasn't annihilator broadheads. It wasn't anything. It was just a side project. And, yeah. Um, you know, he agrees. Like, yeah, man, let's let's go do it. And um, that, that was my passion. Is I just wanted to go and get and help somebody get something out of their head, and then physically see it and shoot it, and then go, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that process was was super fun. And it, and uh, once we got there, uh, I think Micah and I there was a couple turning points for us. Um, if you want to get into it, um, I remember we, uh, made a plastic model and it's always good to make a plastic model of, of whatever you have just to hold it in your hand and go, like a hey, 3d print. Guy. Was it like a 3d yeah. print? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we're holding this 3d print in our hand and we're looking at it. We're making sure the size feels good and it looks aesthetically pleasing. And we're like, man, this is like, this is awesome. We, we freaking love this thing. But then you go, well, how the hell do I shoot this out of a bow? yeah uh, well i can't so i i really have to make we have to make that decision of all right do we invest the money to go uh, make this out of metal you know and which is not a cheap decision so you know at that point it was no longer educational it was like okay i think we like it would be a shame not to move forward from here this is so cool and we're having a lot of fun doing this and um so the question was is does it fly and will it penetrate uh, that was the, that was the two like first litmus test, right? Uh, <clears throat> and so I remember. Just one second, just one second, yeah. because so you you get the three D model, right? And then it becomes commitment time, and it's time yeah. to it's time to actually get it machined, uh, and and get it into a product that will actually do harm to an animal. I mean, cause that's the goal yep. of, the, you know, that's the goal of a broadhead is to kill whatever it hits. So yep. how long? you know, from that follow-up phone call after deer camp till you had a actual machined prototype that you could put on an arrow and launch. I want to say it was about six months. What do you think, Micah? Yeah. Somewhere in there, maybe just, a, maybe just a touch longer. It definitely wasn't a year. Right. Was, so yeah. that, that time frame, you know, from a, from a, Hey, Hey, new friend, may seem long but man for, from a manufacturing and getting a prototype of an actual product to me that's a very short period of time yeah and bear in mind that that was like product one right right prototype <laughs> it, it, one yeah yeah it just just to get out and shoot it now to be we can go down the process and talk about how many iterations we did which weren't a lot <laughs> which is pretty cool but um but yeah you're right it's it's a short period of time to go from idea to execution and having a uh, an actual prototype in your hand yeah now you know if you know what you're doing and and you like today you can prototype it a matter of weeks you know uh 
and have and go from zero to uh, new concepts ready for R and D testing fast, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So you get this first prototype out, and uh, and and what was the what was the reaction when you sent the first prototype downrange? Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I, at least for me, Mike and I lived in different areas, so we didn't. It, it kind of sucked and it's kind of funny if you go back micah and you think about it like you and i had no concept of um uh like we, we didn't we weren't able to really build off of each other except on phone calls like we didn't get to shoot it together his test was different than my test uh i took the flight the flight test he took the uh the wound channel test and uh he can talk about his side of it but um, i remember i shot day one I'm trying to think if I, I think first shot was like 40 yards and it was like right with field points. I mean, it was like, boom, boom. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And it was like third shot was like 75. I think it might've been 80. I can't remember exactly, but it was a poke, you know, mm-hmm. and right with field points. Now, obviously my bow is tuned. I can shoot, you know, um, but I think that's when I just set my bow down and I was like, how how is it doing that yeah like because it has more surface area it shouldn't do that i actually thought and i told micah this in the beginning i thought all we have to do is get it to 50 yards like if it hits 50 yards it's over like this is going to be a game changer and and then i sat there and we sent it long range and or i sent long range i'm like dude this is this is going to be lights out if guys can actually shoot this at long range and there's little tune and i shot it with target veins yeah I i was shooting those old um uh, AAE two three plastifletch veins. You know they're like 0.4 high and um, two point three inches long in a three fletch. Yeah, and it's not like it was a big broaded vein. You know, and it was like four shots in. You know, yeah. Uh, and I sat there. I was like, this is awesome. And Micah and I will tell you, like, we care about flight a lot. Like, yeah. These we told each other if these if these things are not easy to tune and you can't fly at long range, you know, it's really not ideal. <laughs> the 50 yard mark would be like the make or break. Like if, if they don't shoot at 50 yards, then what's the point? Yeah. yeah. So, so I hear, I hear that story and that's awesome for, for a guy who, uh, you know, the, the less tuning you have to do for a broadhead, the better, that's better for everybody. So that's awesome that it turned out that way as a hunter. Right. I, I hear that and I go, that's awesome. But I'm used to tuning my broadheads anyway. I, I know that I, when I go from field points, I, I'm always checking to make sure. I want to know if this kills shit. Okay, I want to oh, know sure. if it destroys whatever it hits. Marginal, you know, double lung, heart, whatever. Whatever the shot is, what's the penetration like? Um, am I going to feel confident with this head once I, I start hunting with it? So what were those initial wound channel, uh, wound channel tests? Life. Yeah, so I'll uh, I'll speak to that. Brandon uh, Brandon got the flight part out of the way. Yeah, and um, there's uh, let's just jump real quick into to what we what we thought about in designing a broadhead, and we we kind of call them uh, you know four pillars. Yeah. Um, there's four things that every broadhead should strive to uh, accomplish, and it would make it um, it would across the board. Those four pillars would make it in our in our minds. If you if you can excel 
uh, in those areas, you'd um, you'd have something completely unique. So, in our, in, and in our minds going forward with the broadhead, we felt that every broadhead out on the market, like I said, not knocking broadheads, they fell short in, in one or sometimes even two or three categories. So those categories are flight, penetration, durability, and lethality. So Brandon talked about flight. I'll talk about uh, durability because that was a second test. Real quick, yep. where do you feel that some of the other broadheads of those four pillars, where do they fall short in your, in your opinion? Uh, because we're Western guys and we designed this to, you know, uh, our thought process was to launch this thing uh, long range. If it wouldn't fly long range, then it was one of those things we'd have to work through it. So gotcha. the first, first one is usually flight gotcha. um, without a right. And you already mentioned it, you hit right on it. Most guys, especially shooting fixed blade broadheads, even in, out of a tune bow out to distance, they have to adjust something, whether right. that's their arrow rest or their sight or, um, or something else. They usually, you know, knock tuning and, and doing all this stuff and making sure their, their, their veins align with the broadhead. Um, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole, but, right? Uh, that that's flight. Right. And then usually, uh, durability. I mean, there's no, you know, you can't reuse broadheads, right. That's, that's really not a, not an option. Um, up until the annihilator, right. Where right? you shoot it through 300 times through a car hood and all, all it's doing is taking the paint paint off the, off the, the oxygen, the oxidization, uh, rust prohibitive off the side of the broadhead and, and maybe just nicking the, the, the blade edges a little bit. Um, you know, and then, uh, penetration, a lot of people, you know, you can't deny that with a mechanical broadhead when it hits shoulder, especially on quartering two shots, because you have blades that are swinging out and actually causing an event to happen inside the animal. When it hits something hard, they usually deflect bend or warp, which take the broadhead on a plane, not in, on a plane trajectory, not intended where it was shot from. So, um, and you know, like I said, we can go down the rabbit hole and those are, yeah. those are just, just a few that is common in the bow hunting industry, right? Everyone right. talks about at least those. I mean, those are like the core. Right. Okay. So and, and something real quick related to that deflection is related to durability. And I think a lot of people don't realize that mm -hmm. So when we say durability, it's not just the reusable factor of the broadhead it's the factor of when i hit a scapula or even the ball joint on an animal if that broadhead changes its shape at all it will change the trajectory that you sent it on right it has to right um so what we wanted is a rigid stout broadhead that would continue on the path you sent it on so that energy transfer can be efficient into the target and continue to blow straight through and that is going to give you greater forgiveness. And so it's not always about the edge, uh, edge retention is good, you know, all of that, but it's also about um, not deflecting as much. Yeah. Hence, hence why our broadhead is short side to side, but we have more, our broadhead is shorter side to side um, than almost every broadhead out there, but yet we have more cutting surface area than a three inch mechanical. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So back to the, back to the wound channel test. Yep. So I, uh, Brandon did his flight test and called me and I said, oh, that's sweet, man. I've only been able to get up to shoot it to about 30 or 40 yards for me. And, um, you know, I was shooting a lot of NFA tournaments and stuff like that. So I was, you know, kind of tuned up and, um, and, you know, shooting good and stuff. And it was legitly spot on for me, um, out in my property and no, uh, no issues at all. Um, and it was absolutely pounding, pounding the target. But one thing I noticed when I shot it, uh, I called Brennan and I said, did you, I said, did you see how easy it is to pull out of the target? 
we didn't know that I knew that the bell was moving mass in the back of the broadhead, but we didn't know that um, it actually at the same time was building up zero friction on the arrow shaft as far as heating up the material. And I was shooting into a dense, like at the time, I think it was like a Reinhardt target. Yeah. And none of that, none of the, the foam was stuck to the arrow shaft, like with field points or other broadheads that I had shot. And if you notice on our broadhead, the back cutting edges are, um, are on there as well. So it literally pulls out. I mean, it pulls out of the target super easy. Yeah. Easier than any other broadhead I had shot before. So that was one of the kind of quirky, unique things that I noticed. But <clears throat> what I did is I went and got a, uh, I called Brian and I said, Hey man, I said, uh, we can shoot it through plywood and stuff. I said, it'd be kind of cool to, to see what it does to, um, to metal because, you know, metal, um, doesn't, doesn't move back out of the way. Once it's, once you strike, it's usually stays in the, whether you hit it with a hammer or whatever, it usually stays in the same, same, you know, stagnant shape after it's shot. So I said, Hey, there's a company that's not too far from me about 50 minutes. I said, they, there's, they sell these, um, pretty durable, um, thick steel drums. I said, I'm going to go pick one up. So I jammed down, picked one up and I ended up, uh, you know, shooting at 20 yards, um, with, like I said, up against a couple different style broadheads, uh, hybrids and, and two blades and stuff. But, um, one thing I noticed when we shot the annihilator was, uh, the material that was moved. It legitly looked like a huge triangle. It wasn't like the other ones where it was a field point with little razor blade slits. And not only that, when I shot it, it went through the steel drum so fast. It went over my neighbor's, our fence was like a horse fence <laughs> into, I, it took me like 30 minutes to find it. It went through so fast and out the other side that it, it seemed to me like it didn't even, and I remember telling Brandon, I said, it didn't even want to, it didn't even want to slow down. Um, and I was shooting this, I had a barrel slightly up on a hill. So I was shooting kind of like eye height. And so it went, you know, it was about three, three feet off the ground is where I was shooting, like, you know, not uphill or downhill. Cause I wanted to see the true kind of trajectory of how it hits, you know, right. almost perfectly uh, perpendicular to the drum. So, uh, and then the other thing I noticed too, um, when I grabbed the arrows from the other broadheads, the carbon, one, uh, two of them were snapped. Um, and then the fletchings were completely destroyed on every, um, every one that I shot through the drum. When I grabbed the one that had the annihilator on it, the, it literally looked like it hadn't even been shot other than the fact that when we, the prototype was like 300 series metal, it was, I mean, totally, you know, really weak metal that we prototyped with. And, um, the edges were a little bit chewed up, but I noticed that the fletchings literally looked like I glued them on yesterday. Yeah. And I remember telling Brandon, I'm like, dude, this arrow is completely fine behind this broadhead. All the other ones are absolutely trash. Yeah. So you guys are gaining some confidence in this product as you start to do your testing. Yeah. And those are preliminary tests, right? Right. So right. We, we knew that we were taking it with a grain of salt too. And the ultimate test is animals. And, you know, for your listeners out there, just to be clear, we took two and a half years of testing before this thing went to market of going through animals and uh, really putting it through hell. Yeah, but and let's not let's not kid ourselves. Animals aren't built like steel drums, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so they're made <laughs> but, of soft. But what they do, what, what they do have though, is they have uh, elasticity yeah. um, in their skin and hide that comes back. So in our in our eyes, when when I shot that, I instantly 
shot that with the other ones, I instantly like the light bulb went off and, and I thought to myself, this wound channel, it's, it's not going to close. Yeah. Like you're just disrupting too much flesh on the way in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but what this does tell you is it tells you the next step is animals, right? But Correct. so before you get into getting going out and hunting and killing animals with it, did you have to make any tweaks to the actual design or the material that you use? We not did. When the, yeah, not when the first one was not the not the first prototype. Not when that was shot. No. Gotcha. Okay. Um, that was that was with a hundred. Did for a one for a one twenty five. Yes. For the for the for a one twenty five, you had to make some adjustments. Yeah. So the one twenty five, uh, we wanted them. We wanted people to be able to switch in between the two, have the same flight characteristics, um, everything that we're like. Okay, how can we make this one? Um, the same as this one, but it's just in weight. And that's how we are now. Our original heads, 125, have the same exact footprint. Um, it's just that weight's in the shank. Now you go yeah. to our XLs, they're the exact same, but the weight's in the shank. So when we when we first had um, the 125, it was really, really cool. It was kind of like archaic. Um, it looked like something a Spartan would put on the end of their, end of their spear. It was like what we have now, but stretched out. So it was quite a bit longer gotcha okay yeah all right so the the schematics are just a little bit different correct all right cool all right it's time it's animal time uh talk to us about what that what that process looked like i mean did you guys go right out into hunting out of your backyard or i've heard certain broadhead companies they'll just go dude uh let's go let's go on a, a, a hog hunt and let's just kill a whole bunch of hogs. Like what did, what did that animal killing process look like for you guys? Well, I'm going to let Micah tell the story uh, only because he was the one who got to do it, do the first set of animals. But, uh, but I'll, I'll say this. Um, the idea of testing is large sample size, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, Micah and I being Western hunters, it's not like you get tags all the time. Exactly. And, uh, and so you definitely got to reach out to others to get, get some assistance, especially those that, you know, are straight killers and can get it done. Right. So yeah. that was our mindset is, is let's go find some killers, you know, that, that we trust, you know, that we, we can keep this hush hush about and, uh, and really test, test this thing. So that'll also give us honest feedback. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk to, I'll, I'll talk about the first animal uh, that was harvested and then uh, Brandon, why don't you, when I'm done with that one, why don't you uh, jump in and talk about uh, Evan, uh, our buddy Evan Obra in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, um, I was in California and I got a good buddy of mine that lives down in Paso Robles and everybody that uh, <clears throat> that knows about pig hunting in the Western United States, barring going over to Hawaii, uh, the wine country from Napa all the way down to Santa Barbara is without a doubt phenomenal pig hunting. Um, it's just they have the terrain, they have the heat, uh, the, the, the basically what pigs like. They don't have to go uphill steep real bad. Um, during the day when it's hot, they can go get in brush. And then at nighttime, it cools down like literally into the forties and fifties. It'll, it'll swing in the middle of summer, like 60 degrees. Um, and that's ideally what those pigs like. So they can get out and feed early morning. Um, people, you know, a lot of pigs aren't like deer. They can't handle that heat running around. So they need to go bed up super early. So yeah, we, I ended up, uh, contacting a buddy of mine down in, uh, Paso Robles, went down and stayed with him and kind of said, Hey, look, I got a, got this, uh, this idea and we, you know, I'm going to bring this thing down. He's a 
bring it down. We'll, you know, we'll see if we can't, can't get it done. So him and I went out on one morning, <clears throat> he had a couple in his uh, quiver and I had a couple in mind. Uh, keep in mind that when Brandon and I did this, I think Brandon, we talked to somebody yesterday about it. I believe we got like seven and seven a piece, seven. Yeah, be, fives, uh, seven yeah. Yeah. So I think between the two of us, we had 14, 14 broadheads to, to out of the gate to like, let's go, let's go test these things. So, um, went down there with my buddy. Like I said, we were on, uh, on some pigs. I went around one end. he went up over the hill where these pigs end up trying to beat the heat, you know, in the early part of the morning and they, they string line and go up over this hill and then bed down in this brush. So I come around the corner and I see him kind of like looking around, kind of moving. And I was thinking, okay, the pigs, pigs must be gone because there's no way he, that's right where they normally go. So there's no way he's up, you know, crashing around for no reason. So I ended up going over there and, and talking to him and he said, you see anything? I said, yeah. I said, they burned by, they must've went right by you. You know, I didn't, um, they, they cut me off or I tried to cut them off. They ended up going behind me. And for pit, people that don't know about hogs, once those things get, get, those little legs get moving and they know where they're going, they're gone quick. So, um, I, he ends up, uh, he's like, yeah, I saw one, you know, and it went over this way and I, he was pointing and I noticed that he had, uh, he had some blood on his hand and I reached out and I grabbed his hand and I was like, and I looked at him and I was like, dude, and he's like, yeah, I shot one. And I was like, awesome. Cool. And he's like, I shot one with the annihilator. And I was like, no way. So, uh, like, you know, we're sitting there talking about it. He tells me about the shot process. He's like, dude, uh, the closest I could get is like 52 yards. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I shot it and went right underneath this, uh, right underneath this fence, uh, over there. And he's got a point. He had backed out like to 70 or 80 yards away from the fence. And he said, uh, he said, I can tell you one thing. He said, it literally sounded like someone exploded a Coke can with the baseball bat when it hit. He said, so I know, I know I didn't miss it. And I, I said, I think it was, uh, like a 52 yard shot. Yeah. So we ended up going to the spot where he shot it and he, you know, the, the grounds tore up. You can tell where the pigs have been going up and down underneath this, uh, underneath this barbed wire fence. And uh, right where I shot it, there's right where he shot it. There was blood on the ground and he said it was standing right here, perfectly broadside. And he said, I tried to hold it close to the, close to the shoulder. Um, and I said, okay, did you pick up your arrow? And he said, no, I said, he said, my lighted knock, you can see it back there. And the lighted knock was probably, Oh, I'd say eight to 10 yards past the pig, but not just like laying there. It was like wedged. I had to pull it out of the ground and out of the, uh, out of the bushes. So you could tell, I mean, I, like I said, when I picked it up, I could tell that, you know, it, it hammered him hard, but it also went through him really easily. Yeah. Um, based on, based on how the arrow is positioned. So then we're just sitting there looking at the blood trail and I look up and I said, you went underneath the fence. And he's like, yeah, I ran into the fence right here. So I look up through the fence about five yards and then over to the right, about maybe eight yards, somewhere in there, seven yards, eight yards. And the pigs lay in there. So the pig ran a total of about 13 or 14 yards and was uh, piled up like completely sideways. I, I saw little black and white patches. And I said, is that the little black and white one right there? And he's like, yeah, it was, he said, I think it was tan a little bit and a little bit of black and white patches. So you could see it from right where he shot it. So it didn't, it literally made it maybe from 13 to 20 yards total, depending on, you know, the angle it went around the trees. So, uh, we walked up to it. And the first thing I noticed was <clears throat> the, all the, the, it had a massive pile of, of bubbles on, uh, on, on the outside of it. And instantly I thought like it, everything that was inside this animal is now gone. All the air is on the outside of it versus when you, when you walk up to a normal animal shot with a, 
with a uh, broadhead, they usually, you know, they're hissing because they've, you know, they took off running and they built up so much air in their cavity, but the air couldn't escape. Right. So, um, yeah, I looked at the pig and, and I said, oh, you know, great shot and giving him high fives and stuff and talking to him about the shot, shot again. And we ended up rolling the pig over and uh, noticed that it didn't go through the, just go through the ribs at 52 yards. It went through the ribs, then blew the shoulder out one side and the, like i said the arrow looked like it, it, it was going to keep like like it was going to keep going yeah. so we checked the uh check that that um that and the exit on the other side and uh we have pictures on it i think on our website um where the the meat uh, the meat is actually pushed out of the hole where the broadhead like shoveled it all the way out of the hole and pushed it out of the height yeah so it almost sounds like it created that what you you mentioned earlier from a bullet standpoint, you know, when a bullet goes through something, it creates like a vacuum inside. And then once that pops out the back end, it just, all that stuff just gets blown right out the back end of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, that's what it was. It was actually part of the, part of the meat and some of the uh, shoulder bone was sticking, sticking out of the hole. Gotcha. Um, and that's when, that's when I knew that this thing is hammering animals, not only as bad as what it's doing to a metal drum, but the whole size relative to the shape of the broadhead. Um, and like I said, you can see them all over our website. Um, that's the first time, obviously, we shot an animal with one. But the, our broadhead is a three, technically a three blade, right? Like it's, you look at it and say, okay, if this had a different point or whatever, and the blades came out and there's nothing attached to the back, it would be a three blade. But why is this broadhead punching holes, you know, a true circular hole? almost out of everything that, that, that it hits, yeah. you will still get, you know, down the road, we know it's that you'll still get some of those triangular holes, but it's never the field point with razor blades. And on most animals, uh, when, it, especially when on the exit, it'll be a true, almost a true circular hole. Yeah. Okay. So, um, did you take that, that pig back and like rinse it out and just like really inspect the, the, the wound channel from that hog? Oh, for sure. We had, it was kind of, it was, it was really, really cool because we were, um, uh, my buddy was under, um, we had him sign an NDA along with, uh, our other buddy that now actually lives up here in, um, in Idaho. Um, they signed an NDA, they both signed an NDA cause obviously we we're still in prototype. Not that I would trust them, but I knew that they had some, uh, some individuals with them that it was kind of like their first time hunting. And so obviously, you know, when you're, when you're trying to design stuff, you just, you know, you don't want any, anything to leak out or anybody to, uh, to say anything that could compromise or, you know, or bring, bring to light someone else coming up with something similar or, 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 you know, or anything like that, basically, you know, stealing your ideas. Yeah. So not that I didn't trust those guys because I love those guys to death. One of them's our really good friend up here now, but, um, it was one of those things where you just, you know, you don't know. Uh, in the presence of, of unfamiliar friends, you just don't know who you're, who you're talking to. So there was two younger, younger, I say kids, cause I'm in my, you know, forties now, but they're, they're probably in their twenties. Um, and there it was their first, one of them, one of their first time hog hunting. So they actually helped us, uh, skin it and, uh, skin it. We taught you, we taught them how to like quarter it, where to start cutting and stuff. So that part was super cool to me because I love showing people and love educating people about hunting, but they were there to see the process. And one of them made the comment 
and he didn't even know we were shooting. Uh, he didn't know what we were shooting. He later asked, and uh, my buddy said, "Hey, we can't. You know, we can't tell you. They're testing some products that we can't tell you what we shot it with." And they were they were fine with it. But one of them made the comment that um, that it looked like a bullet had gone through it. Yeah. And and the inside when we opened the not only the 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 shoulder of the meat that was sticking out, we actually pushed the meat back through the hole, and then when we started skinning the, the hog out. Um, and and took took the height off. Yeah, that's when we inspected the uh, the damage. But that was just through the shoulder. Now, when we cut the pig open, um, it literally looked like a blender went off inside of him. Um, and he wasn't on the he wasn't on the ground that long. And the blood the blood shot around the side that was up in the air was absolutely massive. Um, very similar to when a rifle round goes in, the bloodletting you know gets dispersed from that percussion. Um, it was really interesting to see that it still happened with this broadhead. Yeah. Okay. So destroyed it, right? Uh, did you guys have a name? I mean, did you have Annihilator picked out at this point or was that further down? I think by that time, just joking around, I think, yeah, we had come up, I had come up with a name and I remember Brandon going, dude, that's perfect. Like that, that name is perfect for this, for, for what we know that this head is doing already. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think nothing official, but we were kind of. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember exactly when was it. Uh, was it before or after the first kill? Like, I, I think it was before, but we were. I remember calling you. It's funny now that now that uh, he brought that question up. I believe Brandon. I think we were we were we talked about it more. I remember calling you and saying that you know Lucas shot that pig, and then I told yeah. you in the car, hey, he shot it with the annihilator, and you're like, what? And I said. Yeah, I said that annihilator it basically did what he said it did. It annihilated that pig. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think it did come after that pig. Like yeah. right after that pig. And then uh, you guys took it out to, uh, not not you, but he took it out to Africa and waylaid mm-hmm. a bunch of animals out there with, um, you know, just similar story over and over shooting shooting animals with the shoulder and stuff. And yeah, and keep in and and keep in mind that too, these these were not um, these heads were right at the cusp of illegal not non-legal they were seven eighths like literally to the t to where if you had a seven eighths ring it would it would hook up but just barely so these were smaller profiles than what we have now not by not by a lot but 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 um you know since since then you know because ultimately the angles that we wanted were um that's like we were talking about the part of the process um for iterations, we didn't have a lot because we knew what this one the angler was doing. So they said, "What can we stretch this to, to still have the same flight characteristics, same penetration, everything?" Gotcha. All right. So, so you made a couple tweaks after the the slaying, right? So you slayed a whole bunch of animals. You made a couple tweaks um, to the the head, and and. And now, I mean, you you know, I'm, I'm fast forwarding through two years here because you guys said you did two years worth of testing on this before you brought it to, to market. I look at this head and you guys even mentioned it. It doesn't look like the other heads, right? And people Correct. in the hunting industry, specifically the hunting industry, from my experience, they look at something that's different and instantly say, well, that's not going to work. Dur, 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 dur. they don't know any you know any science behind it they just look at something and yep. it's not what they've been doing for the past 20 years so they hate it or don't like it 
Yep. Uh, so I'll, I'll let Brendan speak onto the speak onto the part where I had to, you know, like if if he was leashed, you know, like I, I'd have to, and he had a collar on him, I'd have to pull him back because the <laughs> comments when we when we first launched for, for like two months, you know, two months right before uh, right before hunting season, we just had to bite our tongues because it, it, it's it's so outside the scope, and you know that's what one of the reasons why we won that award at the ATA show for best new innovation in 2020. It's so outside the scope of what a broadhead is supposed to do and what it and and what it looks like. We literally flipped the industry upside down on its head and induced drag on the part of the projectile where every single other manufacturer got rid of it and tried to you know made theirs as sleek and small and fast and shiny as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So talk, talk on that. I mean, talk about the, uh, the obstacles that you guys had to face when introducing this product to a, I don't know, I'll call the hunting industry, uh, a set in its ways industry. Oh yeah. The, that, that would be an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, we, we pushed this out on social and we showed people kind of just the, oh, yeah, literally just the tip, right? <laughs> Um, and tried to tried to really kind of mask the bell shape behind it and created a lot of interest, man. It, it was it was really exciting because just all the comments, people kind of like, oh my gosh, what is this? And um uh, really excited about it. And um uh once we launched it and we actually showed people that bell in the back, literally maybe like 10% of people were like, Oh my god, that's incredible, how cool, blah blah blah. 90% of people are like, what the hell is that? That's not going to kill a squirrel. Um, that's not going to fly. Oh, seven eighths cut diameter. Why would you make a smaller broadhead? That's a backward step in uh, innovation. Um, what a waste of time. Uh, you know, just like everybody said that. Whether they worked in the industry, whether they like, but then, but no one had held one in their hand. Right. So we go to Reading with some prototypes. We weren't selling, but we showed the industry. And if you know anything about the Reading shoot, it's the best shooters in the world from all over the world. Um, and uh, and you get you get the best eyeballs. That's why we went there. And uh, everybody there was like, "Holy shit, this thing's awesome!" Yeah. Like, like I know it's small, but like, look at that back shape. That's gonna do do some devastation. So. Anytime somebody actually held it in their hand and saw it, it was we definitely didn't have the negative response. Um, the only thing we had to overcome was look how small that is, yeah. you know. And so it was more curiosity. It's like, well, you know, a well placed. Everybody knows, you know, oh well, a well placed shot's going to kill an animal, right? Um, and what what people don't understand though is, um, you kill animals through hemorrhaging and blood loss with any archery component. That's how you. That's how Indians killed killed animals with a bow, right? Um, we add steps to lethality that other broadhead shapes cannot accomplish because of that bell-shaped curve. And that is the part that has not been adopted. And we continually, even today, that is part of the hurdle that we have to continually overcome every time we talk to a person who hasn't seen the reviews or looked at them um, or personally taken animals with them. Um, and especially the second you start killing animals more than one or two, and you're like, hey, I've got a larger sample size. You start to see that, you know, they didn't really make it over 40 yards on any of them. You know, if you take 10 animals down, you know, that's a good sample size to say, hey, my shot placement was kind of 
in 10 different areas. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and wow, look, the same result, any other broadhead's going to knock an animal down and they're not going to go 20 if you take the perfect card shot. Right. Um, but every other broadhead, that's going to be like a two out of 10 where they dropped within sight, you know, with our head, it's going to be the, the vast majority of the time because of that, that shape. And that's the thing that people don't understand because it's difficult for them to wrap their brain around it. And because large sample sizes takes time. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> that those are the things that we pride ourselves on. And we challenge any hunter out there with their favorite broadhead to go uh, put this thing to the test. Um, and so far we haven't found anybody yet that can uh, call BS on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they won't be able to, because the reality is, is, the reviews are already out there guys it's like we've got over sixty thousand shooters now so we can get into that and talk about you know the market validation today and um but uh, all that to say is anytime we meet uh, a new a new person um that's the hurdle we get to jump over on a regular basis and um it's interesting too it's even industry people like big time industry people they come look at it and they're like yeah yeah but they just don't it's almost like they just can't believe it you know um, they can't wrap their brain around it, uh, and trust it. And, uh, but ultimately those are also the same people that can't give their honest opinion about something because the majority exactly. of the hunting industry, exactly. industry people are paid by other companies and the right. old, the old hunting, this is the old hunting industry. Like for me, I'm very confident. I, so I, I shoot wasp wasp pays me money. I yep. advertise their broadheads. I've shot their, I've shot hundred not hundreds okay i've shot lots of animals with their broadheads they kill shit right bad shots good shots whatever right but i can honestly say because i I feel positive about this that i look at this and i i am very intrigued about the science and Mm -hmm. the 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 design that goes into this head and why it's creating the holes that that it is meanwhile other people they can't say that shit Right. They have right. to bite their tongue because God forbid that gets back to someone and they lose what they've built and they, oh my God, right. I can't do that. So they, they'll, they'll either do one of two things and that's talk shit on a product or just say, oh, I don't know. I don't know about it right. until, until you guys yeah. start writing big checks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Let, let me, let me interject real quick too. going, uh, going back to what Brandon was saying about that, that reading, um, reading shoot. Yeah. And since then this has happened multiple times and, um, by by the same same people in a different industry and uh i'll I'll speak on that in a second but when we were at reading this is the first time it's happened we had a guy come up um and i i, I want to say he was from i think over by like new york and flew out flew out like Rano saying these pe- people come out for this reading shoot from all over the world i believe he's from new new york or over there on the uh the, you know the northeast coast someplace and uh he grabbed our broadheads, totally unassuming. I, I, I looked at him. I didn't, I've been doing the NFA stuff for a long time, so I know all the big wigs and all the big shooters and stuff. So um, he didn't he didn't seem like, you know, one of those guys or anything. He just sat there and held our broadhead, and a couple other people had come to our booth in the meantime, and he was just looking at it and holding it up and put – I think he put one on his arrow. And then he set it down, and um, he, said, uh, he said that he was an engineer. And I forgot if he was a, uh, I, th- I believe he said he was a mechanical engineer for some company back there. And uh, he said, I love to shoot archery. And he said, I can tell you right now that there's nothing out there that I've ever seen that looks like this. And he was basically like, can I order these right now? And yeah. we're, uh, we're like, oh, sweet. This is, I, I think Brandon, he was like one of the first takers. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, when you guys, when you guys launch, call me. 
but he was so blown away. The guy stood in our booth for like an hour and a half. And this is the first time it ha it's happened with an engineer. And also the first time where someone has walked up and I remember the guy telling them, basically looking at them and saying, you have no idea what you're looking at. Like, and he told a couple guys, Hey, I was, I'm an engineer and the design of this thing is off the charts. And Brandon can speak to when it happened again with his father-in-law and a friend of his father-in-law up here in, uh, up here in Idaho. That was the second time. It's second time it happened. Yeah. Well, Real I'll tell quick, you, and that's the, that, check before we go any further here, how are we doing on time, Dan? Yeah, dude. I mean, we can talk as long as you want. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm, I, I like the, these conversations because, um, you, you've had a couple aha moments throughout the course of this project. Right. And, and so you're getting this validation from the concept to the, from the idea to the prototype to now starting to get validated through, you know, it, it's cool. This, what I like to see in any product is, is I don't care about the dipshits, right? Dipshits right. are going to be dipshits. They're, they're going to say things that don't make sense because they're uneducated, but that one engineer comes up, to your booth and he grabs your, you know, he grabs your, your head and he looks at it and he, and he, he goes, damn. Right. Yeah, and yeah. as an educated person, I'm, I'm not, you know, that like, understands that understands the, the mechanics. Exactly. And of an object. Yeah, exactly. That's all I would need. And I'd be like, now it's time to market right now. It's time to figure out how to exp this, how to explain this thing to the masses and that's that's hard sometimes because some people are idiots oh like brandon was saying it still is we just got back from uh park city the tech in uh, utah and guys haven't haven't heard of us and then you explain it to them and our, our our pitch now is so refined that before it took like you you know we, we were talking with somebody uh, yesterday on a call and we would discuss our broadhead and by the time we got done talking to them All right, so now you guys started getting validation, not from the dipshits of the world, but from from the credible, you know, the the credible sources, the the people, the engineers, and whatnot, and and so now it's time to get back into this business mode, right? Where in order to make money, we have to sell this and and market it, and, and put our you know put the pedal to the metal, so to speak. What 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 did that look like? I mean, gosh, that's a there's a lot that goes into that, right. To take a, to actually take a product to market. Um, you know, when we were at the red, I remember at Reading, Michael will tell you, I was like, I was very stressed out because, uh, while we were there, we were also going live with our website <laughs> so that we could actually start taking orders. And, uh, it was, it was a lot of work to get that thing turned on and ready to rock and make sure that you're, messaging is correct and how do you talk about you know this new product that um you know people don't really understand <laughs> um you know you, anytime you come out and say hey uh we just reinvented the wheel and it's freaking awesome and it's uh in all of our testing we've pretty much destroyed everybody else people go yeah right <laughs> <laughs> they don't even look at the science yeah they don't even look at it and they go you guys are a bunch of prideful arrogant assholes yeah. and uh, that wouldn't kill a squirrel <laughs> yeah um, so it's finding, it's fine tuning your messaging. It's of course, creating all the channels of which, 
you have to speak to your customers. It's finding your ideal customers. That's of course the pricing model that you're going to figure out. It's um, who in the industry can you connect to, to continue that story of validation, not just you know, the random engineers that you meet, which man, we met a lot of them. Um, and then it's also like, what can you do from a certified science standpoint that you can provide as validation? Um, and so we went down that process and kind of answered all those questions. Right. Um, and, and some of that was done during the R and D, some of that was done before launch, during launch and after launch. Right. Um, but, uh, I remember Micah and I, um, this is kind of going back to just the validation steps. We, uh, we sent some heads over to Hawaii. They went to Africa, they went all over the place and, you know, I had killed an elk with them and, um, Anyways, the one consistent thing that we saw was that animals would be shot in whatever that, that location would be of the shot placement, but there would be internal uh, hemorrhaging and blood uh, displaced all over inside uh, internally and externally in that animal, but more internally is the thing that caught our eye. And I remember being in Hawaii and our buddy Evan shot a uh, axis deer or, you know, the not huge animals, but he shot a doe. Um, and he's like a, he's pretty low poundage guy, like 50 pound bow, 55 pound bow, something like that. And, uh, <clears throat> shoots through both shoulders on a doe and uh, complete pass through. We open this doe up and she's bloodshot all the way back to her ass from the shoulder to her ass, to her hind quarter. Um, and, I remember looking at Micah going, what the hell? Like, how does that happen? We, we have to go get somebody to tell us why this is happening. Like we have theories on it, right? But we need to actually go understand why. And, um, uh, and so we went and hired a third party engineering company to really help us understand the why behind the what. Now I'm not going to tell you this was a complete analysis. This was just one step in the process, right? Um, to help us identify what we were seeing. And so, you know, we talk about the engineers that walk up to our booth and my favorite personally was not the engineers. It was actually the EMTs and anybody who's in the military because they'd look at us and they go, that's a sucking chest wound. And we go, yep, pretty much. The only broad I'd ever designed to create sucking chest wounds and kill animals faster. And you didn't have to say anything beyond that because they go, yep, I get it. Um, but uh, we did a, uh, a fluid dynamics analysis in this very expensive software to help us understand what was happening and going back to the conversation of the pulling and the pushing of air and trapping and training air. And, uh, we were able to validate some of those things. We learned out of my arrow set at the time, which was around a 450 grain arrow flying about 270 feet per second, um, that we created, uh, a, almost a six inch high pressure wave on impact followed by a near eight inch low tension pocket. So it's that high pressure, like hit them like a hammer. And then you're sucking in atmospheric pressure all the way through that animal and pushing out on two sides. And so I, once we released that information, I think that went right over people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't understand that either, uh, but at least it was available. Um, and then you start talking about anything related to air in an animal and the, and how to induce that. And every, you know what everybody says? One of two things that's hydrostatic shock um wow how cool is that or you're trying to claim that you're hitting an animal like a rifle round there's zero chance that that's true <laughs> yeah. so they're, they're they're in one of two camps and uh i think 
we had to learn that it's a very fine line to walk because we are not a bullet shooting at supersonic speeds. And we've never claimed that, but we've always been something more than your traditional broadhead. So how do you, how do you tell that story? And so what we've learned is um, <clears throat> we, we truly cavitate. We've, we've proven cavitation and we'll talk about cavitation in the future and have the certified science behind it. This was the CFD analysis that we did was just a step and we've, we've already proven it, but um, we're actually going to invest some resources to see if we actually can improve super cavitation, um, which we already know is possible. It's identified and there is certified science that exists today uh, through universities as low as 150 to 170 feet per second that you can actually super cavitate, um, not through a bow, but just at that speed uh, through objects in water and things like that and wind, and, uh, wind tunnels and et cetera. Um, but all that to say is, we knew something was different. We validated that something was different. You talk to the engineers, they look at it and they go, that's different. You talk to the EMTs and, you know, the people in the military and anybody who really understands lethality and how people have wounds and wound channels. And, and it's like, yeah, I get it. There's no pitch really necessary to say. And then you go to the industry people who have been doing this for super long and they all roll their eyes and go, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because guess what, guys? And this is a sad statement to say. And I'm going to tell you this. Like, I have no apologies been saying this. I'm saddened by the fact that the archery industry in general is so opinion-based and so driven by marketing. Uh, arrows have been around forever. And yet very few people know how they actually fly. You walk around, to, even at ATA, which is sad to say, and you go, and I'm not going to, I don't want to have conjecture or speculation, but that's just been my experience so far when talking to people is there's not a lot of certified science in our industry. You want to go pull up bullet ballistics and talk about rifle hunting and stuff. Man, there's so much science. It's unbelievable. It's irrefutable. Um, you start talking about how an arrow flies and broadhead shapes and drag coefficients and uh, measuring things out of lab radars and different shapes and uh, what a true ballistic trajectory is and energy transfer into the target in front of center and spine and uh, and what veins to shoot and why different shapes of a vein is going to, you know, make your arrow do something different. And guess what? You're going to get about, you know, a thousand different responses from a thousand different people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's sad to say that that's not, there's no like, repository for data that says though this is this is accurate this is true and i think some people have tried you know ed ashby foundation hats off to them for investing marketing dollars in and in dollars into their data and science um you know from uh all all of their uh, sample sizes and you know um, i don't agree with everything that they say you know especially things like mechanical advantage because uh, i it, it's um you know to me that just creates more deflection but um, you know, I, I like the direction we're going, but all that to say is when a company wants to start doing things like that, they're talking to customers and people in the industry that aren't really ready to adopt that because they're not used to it yet. It's not the norm. The norm in our industry is not to provide certified science and have conversations about it respectfully with each other. The norm in our industry is to have a, uh, you know, who's got something bigger and better <laughs> and yeah. it's all you know, and it's speculation, you know, typically, and then who paid who, what, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest broadhead companies on the market was, was basically created by throwing millions of dollars at celebrities and telling them 
they, you know, hey, this. And then they, you know, has some guys like, it's like throwing an axe through an animal. And no one questions how it works. They just say, this guy right here, he knows what he's talking about. And, and so when I see something like that happen these days, that actually is a big turnoff for me. I don't, I, I actually question the functionality of that product when their marketing strategy is to get a whole bunch of, uh, you know, video camera people and, and tell me, Hey, or try to tell me that that is this, this is the best product for it. As a, as a serious deer hunter, I, that they lose credibility with me. So in your guys's opinion though, you still have to play the game a little bit, right? Yep. So how do you like, what's the approach now? Is it science-backed research and data, or is it, hey, this this kills shit dead? Like, how how do you combine those two to reach the the right audience? It's a little bit of both, um, and it depends on where we're at. And just being candid with you, the industry is still not ready for certified science. And so, if you want to be the best-selling broadhead, unfortunately, you've got to focus on this kills shit and you got to dumb it down and um you got and i don't mean that in a negative way i just mean that in a mike and i learned early on like we went to the great american outdoor show in uh, harrisburg and it was um man so many people it's unreal yeah the amount of business you can do there and it's so fun because we get to talk to hunters all day long about yeah. killing shit, right like our job doesn't suck um and you know we talked to guys and i remember the first year we were there we've now been there twice uh, should have been there three times, but they canceled it due to uh, Rona, unfortunately, year two. But um, our first year there, I, Mike and I were laughing because after day four, we started to see this pattern. And the pattern was is Mike and I would go into the CFD analysis and all the science and everything behind it. And cutting surface area matters more than cut diameter and blah, blah, blah. And uh, people would really engage with us. They would love to hear it. And they would listen and they would, but they're, you could see it on their face. Like you could literally read their face. There would be a moment in time where all of a sudden their eyes would glaze over and you could see that their brain started hurting. <laughs> I'm back in science and class again. Like, boring. Yeah, exactly. Boring. Like, <laughs> yep, exactly. It, well, they thought it was super cool and they're like, yeah, this is awesome. But like, I didn't come here for, you know, to get edumacated. Yeah. Yeah, you guys got free koozies. <laughs> yeah right yeah i can't yeah exactly i wanted a sticker bro yeah uh but you know by the time we were done with them we could tell we were actually hurting ourselves by by giving them the truth yeah and, and i don't mean that like we lie today i just mean that as we have to dumb it down and it, it's all about your selling pitch if you want to be the best selling broadhead what we learned is we've got to we got to treat our we got first off we got to find our ideal customer and we got to talk to them in a way that they want to be spoken to um, and that's not always easy to do. And whether that's in person or through digital or whatever it is, there's a balance with it all. And, and you, you could tell there's guys that come up that know, they know about walk back tuning. They know about bear shaft tuning. They, they're the ones that tune their own bows. And you can talk to those guys more in a technical way yeah. versus the guy that just walks up and goes, man, I, I just kill shit. I kill 15 animals a year. Um, and you know, I've shot, xyz broadhead and it's always worked for me what's the point of me changing to your broadhead and you know we've got to find that balance and the balance is this man it's like hey 
we're going to out penetrate whatever you currently shoot. It doesn't matter. Name it. We're going to out penetrate whatever you currently shoot. Uh, we're going to fly extremely accurate out to very long ranges. If you choose to want to shoot at long ranges, um, even if it's just for fun. Um, and we're going to, we're going to increase lethality and give you steps to the lethality that you can't accomplish with other, sh other shapes and designs because every other design ever in the history of a broadhead has always killed animals through lacerations and hemorrhaging alone. We add the sucking chest wound. You can't argue that. Um, it's infallible. It's you, you go look it up. If your readers don't, or if your listeners don't know what that is, you're going to see very clearly that that is a thing it's real and it works very well to kill animals faster. Um, and as long as you can do that in something that flies good and is durable, now you've got a great little platform that you can build off of. And so we focus on those four pillars, going back to what Micah said, flight, durability, lethality, and penetration. Yeah. Um, and, and then we build from there. And if you get a guy that, uh, you know, and then we just show them holes, hole after hole after hole after hole in animals, not just car hoods. You know, car hoods is fun. And I know we're known as like the car hood broadhead guys, you know, people walk around, oh, those are the car hood guys. Um, and it's a little gimmicky and we recognize that, but it's gimmicks the work, man. Gimmicks work. It, it is, but it's actually a, a cool little conversation that I really enjoy talking to people in because I can give them the quick and dirty, like, yep, it's badass. It annihilates, it puts holes in animals and they're really durable and you're not going to break them conversation, which is like high, high energy. People love it. Like, oh man, look at it. It went through like double, triple gussets. You're not deflecting. But then I can also show them, especially if we're at an outdoor event and we're letting them shoot through the car hood, and it's not just like indoors where we have a car hood. Um, if they're shooting through the car hood, my favorite is, and Michael will tell you this too, um, is when we go pull the arrow and we ask them, hey, what's the first thing you notice? Everybody says the same thing. Holy shit, my fletchings are still on there and we just shot through steel. Yeah. Well, let me let me interject real quick, Brandon. The other side of that too is the guys, and this is very important for what Brandon's speaking on. The guys and gals that sh that shoot through that car hood with us, if they don't recognize the fletching, the first thing they say is, um, and they're the ones who sometimes it takes the next step of showing them the process before the light bulb goes on. They'll grab the arrow. We let them pull the arrow out, and they'll look at the broadhead, and they're like, "Oh man, that's stuck in the target." And then we'll say, that's fine. Yeah, I went through it like butter, like it's not there. But more importantly, look at the back end. And then when those people look back to the fletchings, that's when their light bulb goes on because the, there's a step in there, like Brandon was saying, when we when we, when we we peel their wigs back, talking to them about the science of the broadhead, when they finally go back and look at the fletchings after the fact of looking how it penetrated, their light bulb, their light bulb also goes on. Yeah, yeah. But everyone's different and how they accept that information is different. And Brandon, Brandon and I have talked about it, you know, through the years of our pitch, um, we know where people are starting to, to fall off, fall off the pitch. So, so we spend more time, more time kind of getting underneath them and then digging the ditch and, and then peeling, you know, picking them back up to, to get them on the platform of talking about the broadhead again, because for most people, even though we've been out four years now, um, just about, it's like, people still don't understand the, the technology and new people, you know, young archers that, that are getting into it for them. It's completely outside the scope of anything that they've ever seen. Yeah. It's almost like taking a smartphone back to the 1950s or something like that. And just being like, Hey, check this out in the future. Everybody's going to have that. They're going to be like, uh, right. no, they yeah, won't. We, 
the cool thing is, you know, when when we won that award at the ATA show, uh, Outdoor Life wrote an article on us that said, and it's it's it, to this day I remember it because it fits so well, and it said um, the article title was the Annihilator Broadheads and said uh, whatever the what what award we won, and then it said um, it's so simple, it's stupid. Yeah, but then they went into the science right behind that, and so yeah. like to get same thing. It's like to get people to understand it, like think simply, and then we'll give you the science behind it. And once you yeah. once you once you visualize it, you get it. And people have to want the science, right? Some people are are okay with, hey man, check this broadhead out. It absolutely destroys everything it hits. Oh, cool! I'm the, sold. The coolest thing. The coolest thing is when you talk to guys. Um, like this weekend, you know, I, I'm not going to name any names, but Brandon knows who I'm talking about. We talked to a guy that's been around for a long time, has a ton of influence in the industry, has shot the head before, really liked it. Um, when we talked to him um, at the at the show, and this is the first time we actually got to meet him face to face and talk to him. I've met him before, but talked to him about the broadhead and what it's doing and what his experience was. He stood on our booth for like 35 minutes and, and almost to me, it was kind of cool because it was almost like, to me, it felt like he was just a new person coming coming at the broadhead. Yeah, um, and the dude has a ton of following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. So, you know, we, we've kind of gone through the 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 whole steps here, and so the, one of the questions that I always like to ask is: so there's some there's some guys listening out here, right? We've talked about the science, we've talked about the fact that it you know, it reduces the, the drag on the arrow, the, you know, the strength to penetrate a car hood, all the stuff that we've talked about today. And there's a guy out there who is going, well, hmm, maybe I should, maybe I should think about annihilator. What message do you have for him or her? Well, I'll, I'll tell him, uh, and Micah, you pipe in too, about what you would, you would tell a guy there, but I tell guys this, if you want to kill animals for the rest of your life and be in an ethical way and you want to reduce the time of death, you want to reduce the time of tracking, you want something that's going to give you a more consistent result with a larger sample size. Um, and you are, uh, and you're not a, like a total bloodluster in terms of like, like we talk to guys all the time, you know, they, they, they would rather have red carpet for a mile than uh, no blood for the first 20, 20 yards, even though they're standing over their animal. Um, so I would tell guys this, if you can handle that right there, because you're, you're going to have less blood than a, than a mechanical on average, I would say with any fixed blade head on the outside of an animal, because you don't have the capillary refill that a three inch cutting mechanical would have. Um, and for the time it takes for that blood to come out, uh, typically the animal's already dead, but the annihilator. So we have great blood channels. When you hit something that's inside the thoracic cavity of the animal, uh, that actually produces blood, uh, but it's a fixed blade head. So if you're a listener and you're talking about mechanical versus fixed blade, fixed blade in general is going to be a little different. Um, it's not a four inch slash, right? Um, so if you fall in that category where you want to be standing over your animal more consistently, you want to take ethical shots and, and you want that animal to die as fast as possible. There's no broadhead in the world that will kill an animal as fast as the annihilator consistently across a large sample size. And we have thousands of reviews to establish that and prove that. Gotcha. And to me, that's, that's the pitch. And, um, and if a guy can understand that you're going to win him for life. Yeah. Yeah. It makes yeah. great, makes great sense. 
And even, I mean, Brendan hit hit the nail on the head uh, for sure. And that's what we, we pride ourselves more than anything out of those four pillars like we discussed earlier. The last one, uh, the lethality is um, is uh, tried and true to, to Brandon and I's hearts. We, we want, uh, when people come up and, and say, man, this thing, it, it, my animal, I've never seen it die so fast. I've never seen it expire so fast. And as any, as any bow hunter out there, as even a gun hunter, if you're going to take the life of, of, of anything that's living, you should try to end that life as fast as you can. Um, and for me, what I've noticed is when we're shooting stuff and talking to friends and we're eating pig meat or eating whatever, it, they die so fast. It doesn't, they don't have a chance to build up all the adrenaline in the animal. They don't, the animal doesn't taste gamey. We're insane or really seem to similar situations you'll get that, you know, the animal's not standing on its feet for 150 yards uh, running all over the place. It's dead in 40 yards, like stone dead. Um, so to have that happen uh, as the fourth pillar in what we were talking about earlier, you know, flight penetration, lethality, the, you know, the durability, and then the lethality, to have that as the last one, but that's not the last one and how we judged it. That's actually the first one. Can we actually harvest an animal faster than anything else out there? And the merging of, like what we said, minus some of the technical uh, differences, what a broadhead does, what a bullet does by moving air, uh, by bringing those two together. Uh, Brandon and I honestly feel that we've flipped the industry upside down, um, and that's not to brag, but flip it upside down to deliver bow hunters something that they've never experienced before. Yeah. Hey, man, that's a great pitch. Uh, if people want to find out more information about uh, Annihilator Broadheads and uh, the science that we've talked about today and, and, and all the other info that you guys talked about, where should we send them? Go ahead, Brandon. Annihilatorbroadheads.com. Yep. Perfect. There's a, uh, in, the, in our navigation, there's a, there's a button that says, Why Annihilator? There's a great little PDF there that people can just download and look at that really summarizes everything that we said. I don't want to say concisely because it is definitely a read, but it does highlight the science, the validation of the science. Uh, and uh, it talks about each one of those pillars uh, specifically. Um, and so that's a great place to start, you know, to really deep dive on Annihilator. So, and if you want to just see dead shit, there's lots of videos on our website too. There you go. There you go. The dead shit is important too. So you follow us. We're on social, you know, um, annihilated broadheads, you know, feel free to look us up. We, you know, we normally get back to people on emails, you know, pretty good. Obviously there's, we don't have it. We don't have a large crew working behind the scenes as far as, um, who's answering those. We tell people not try not to flood them. If there's something specific, um, you know, related to a, to a question about, you know, what they have or their setup or whatever you can go to info at annihilatorbroadheads.com if uh if they have any any of these guys that are listening that have shop owners or work for a shop you can go to sales at annihilatorbroadheads.com we just brought on a uh, a sales guy who's handling all our wholesale accounts so um, a lot of dealers getting set up uh our following is uh growing leaps and bounds now on social and uh the coolest thing that brandon and i pride ourselves on besides what what we designed the broadhead for is the fact that unlike most companies, and like I said, not knocking broadhead companies at all, uh, and going back kind of piggybacking on what you said, Dan, about paying people, um, we have not spent a dollar on marketing uh, since we launched this this company uh, up until 
we just did paid ads and stuff just recently uh, within the last couple months. So for three years, this broadhead has grown organically. We bit our lip and let people say what they want, but all of our customers um, that are out there uh, speak insanely high of us. They're diehards, their friends are diehards. And uh, anybody that wants to join the Annihilator Nation, jump on. Perfect. Well, gentlemen, uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks for hopping on, and uh, good luck putting some holes in some animals this fall. <laughs> Sounds good, Dan. We appreciate it, man. Yep. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, man. For sure.